Hello, and welcome to episode 39 of Major Revisions. I'm Grace Wilkinson at Iowa State University, and with me as always is John Walter from the University of Virginia and Jeff Atkins from Virginia Commonwealth University. So I got a question. It's deep. Is that a deep question? So deep. Yanny or Laurel? Yeah, so Yanny. And I don't understand how people hear Laurel. Nor do I. I'm on your team, Jake. It's both. It's obviously Laurel that's just been messed with through sound and i can hear both yanny or laurel it just depends on which one i pick the dress was both colors too it's simple science guys your scientists come no the dress was not the dress both is colors. clearly both colors it's a trick of optics <laughs> but the the i can hear it I when can, it's the modulated I can frequencies re- but i can't no, you can't hear both ones. at the same time but you just think yanny you'll hear yanny if you think laurel you'll hear laurel no i tried that i just don't hear laurel Supposedly, I, I, I there know. is something like if you the older you get, the more likely you are to hear Laurel because of the tones. So maybe that's just it because I have a few years on you guys. That's all it yeah. is. Because I'm old. It's a part of the aging process. Yeah. You guys are just young. You're old. You don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Whippersnappers. It's possible. We might have blown out our eardrums at less rock concerts than you have as that's well true. in our lifetime. I only have partial hearing loss in one ear, but it's not that bad. I used to play in a band and we had a really small like practice space and I practiced by the door. So like my one side of my ear was outside like pointing out the door and my other ear was pointing into the room. <laughs> and so like one ear was like constantly exposed to like very loud noise. <laughs> so they don't register right. So like I can't hold the phone like in my left ear, like I can't hear anything. So whatever. Do your I should say yes. you guys no, just finished a grant. Go John and Grace. Oh yes we did. This is true. Yeah, well, hopefully Very it actually excited. like gets money. That would be nice yeah. too. Oh yeah, if that happens, it's just going to be like an entire episode of us screaming, popping <laughs> bottles, and like getting drunk. So you can, all can look forward to that. <laughs> what, what bottle will you pop, G? If this gets funded, ah, that's a super good question. I think probably I'll go for one of my leftover bottles from Glasshouse Winery. Nice. Yeah, yeah. How about you? Um. Probably, probably some bubbly. Lovely. I'm a, I'm a bubbly kind of guy. Yeah. So hopefully, I mean, let's not jinx it, but it was certainly uh, exciting. So it was in response to a dear colleague's letter that had been posted, and I gotta say, I don't feel like a lot of people knew about this letter that was put out there. So I'm hoping that increases our chances. Um, but you know, that's not the way I ever thought I would be exploiting a funding mechanism. But by not telling anyone about it? Alas, there it was. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) No, but just, uh, actually, so this is an example that I gave to my students recently about why they really frickin' should be on science Twitter. Even if you don't participate, observe. Because the way I found out about this was because someone else had tweeted about it. I honestly don't understand why you would not want to be on Twitter. I mean, I just think, I know John's not, but like, you see, you're constantly exposed to so much stuff. Even if you just follow people you know and like in real life, you follow like there's just a few connected people in each field who will tweet like everything. You know, I don't know how they have time, but they would do it. Mm-hmm. There are clearly some social media influencers in the science world. Absolutely. 
So I gave it to them as a great example of why they should consider getting on, even if they're just observers. But, yes. So what have you been up to, Jeff? We've had kind of a, a pause um, ramping up recording. for the field season. That's about it, really. Um, trying to wrap up two projects and then get one big one and then another small one started. So just going at it. That's really about it. Nothing exciting. <laughs> nice. I've been chronicling all the snakes that I run is, into is in this... the woods because they have been like crazy abundant this year. <laughs> um, that's been cool. That's about it. Nothing exciting on my end. Is the is the small one the, the smokies yeah. work that we're doing? Ordered a bunch. Ordered some instruments for that today. Nice. Um, yeah. So John and Atticus and I wrote a grant through an educational foundation connected with the Great Smoky Mountains, which got picked up. Kind of a surprise, honestly, that it did because we wrote in there that we would make a movie, and. No. <laughs> it's like, yeah, now we, now we gotta make a movie. <laughs> Um, which would be cool. Like the idea is, like they wanted, they thought it was cool that we were doing field work because a lot of the edu- a lot of the educational movies that you show about science, like they very rarely show scientists actually doing science. You know, and so like I think there's a there's definitely mm-hmm. an area there where you can just show people doing field work. However, um, what's not exciting is that since most of the field work is really going to be us just using a scanning LIDAR system, which is really just walking out into the woods, setting up a tripod, and turn, you know, hitting a button, and then hiding behind a tree for two minutes, and then repeating this for like four days. That's not the most exciting thing, so I think we're going to probably work in some of the um, kind of the history of the park, and I've, I've been playing around on archive.org, and there's a lot of great, like, newsreels from the 30s showing the Smokies getting set up, and then we can drive all around and get a bunch of uh, cool footage of him, like Holy Adelgid and uh, Bossom die off and stuff. Or worst case scenario, we'll just film John and Atticus and I playing banjos in a cabin somewhere in the woods. And you know, <laughs> oh yeah, we should all like, we yeah. should all bring our guitars. That'll be yeah. But I swear to God, do. if anyone plays wagon wheel, I'll slap him in the mouth. Oh, but only if you play the old crew version. If you play that, (laughs) I wonder if like I haven't been to Asheville like actually spending any time in Asheville in a few years now. So I wonder if all the old crow like graffiti that used to be down in the River District is still there. Like somebody went crazy and put like painted a bunch of like old crow like mosaic, not mosaics, but like murals and stuff. I don't know if that's still there, but I hope it is. It was very out of place. But fun times. We'll keep you uh, up to date. We'll, we should just record an episode from the woods, maybe. <laughs> I don't know what it would be. <laughs> Perfect. Day. I'll be on a boat. You can be in the woods. Like, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna stay in um, a, a large R one university located approximately near the Smoky Mountains. Um, there's only one, but I'm not gonna mention their name. They do own a nice little field house down there. But from the pictures, it kind of looks like one of these murder cabins that you would see in one of these backwoods country horror movies. Um, so we're gonna stay there. That's gonna be pretty dope. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Fantastic. So, <clears throat> I'm not gonna tell my wife I'll, about that. I'm gonna send her pictures. <laughs> 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 So, moving along. <laughs> Grace. 
health tips for research groups. You sent us a really cool article, and since you run the largest research groups of any of us and actually are really proactive in this and are interested in your students and uh, mentees as more than just producers of research, and but also as people, um, what are your thoughts on this? I thought it was a really cool article, but... Yeah. I try. Yeah, so this is part of this series of nature articles where they have a topic and they invite a number of people to write short vignettes on the topic, um, which I think has been a really effective and very cool way to get a diversity of perspectives, which is something that nature op-eds have sorely lacked in the past. Um, so I'm glad that maybe this is their response to changing that. And, and science um, op-eds still lack? Just going to throw that out there. Absolutely. Um, but so, and you know, some of them, I, I like it because I don't always agree with every single one of them. But the idea that this one was thinking about um, the health and um, and the culture of science. So if you think about um, the culture of science being also a, a health concern and that, you know, uh, well-being being a really big part of that and the way that we treat people. Um and I think we can all think of instances, hopefully that not that have happened to you, but perhaps of abuses of that well-being and that um, mentor-advisory relationship or just in some sort of science work culture, um, abuse of power and whatnot. And so this was was getting at that. Um, and yeah, so I, I think uh, the, the first person that wrote something, um, David Norris, who's a director at a large institution of over 600 researchers, they actually created a position for a sustainable science officer. And it's someone whose job is focused on thinking about the work environment at the research center. Um, I think this is really cool. Yeah, I really like it for that large size. So what, like, what about it struck you, John? Well, I think... Um... I think one of the things that strikes me about it is that, you know, researchers, you know, PIs, um, you know, what effectively part of your job becomes, uh, if you advance far enough in, in science, but, but, you know, even as PhD students, you, you know, you work with undergraduates and, and stuff like that, you know, part of your job is, effectively to manage people. Um, but you don't really get a whole lot of guidance, um, for how to actually do that effectively. Um, and, and, and so I really like the idea of sort of like making it a person's job to think about, you know, how, you know, how do we, how do we treat people better? How do we create an, an environment that, um, you know, helps to grow the people that work in it, make sure they're happy. Um, and one, I, you know, I think that that's probably more effective than, you know, just having, you know, a, a number of different, you know, PIs and, and, and stuff like that try and manage um, their groups in, you know, sort of different um, ad hoc kind of ways. Uh, and, and I think it just, you know, takes a little bit of, you know, pressure off the PIs themselves in, in all likelihood and, and probably, uh, lets them focus on aspects of their job that, um, that they're passionate about and, and, you know, helps connect them with resources to, um, help their, 
help themselves and to help the people who um, work with them in their in their research groups, um, you know, be happier and, and do better work. Yeah, absolutely. I think it sounds like it's been so successful at this institution as well, which is just amazing. And the things that they go over in the article, uh, we'll post the link on the website. We'd encourage you to read like the things that they do for every career level to really be supportive and help people feel, I think, fulfilled and valued at their job yeah. is really cool. Definitely. Yeah. And, um, and I think it's really cool how this grew from sort of like a ad hoc trial kind of thing into a senior level position at this institute. Mm-hmm. The one thing I would worry about, I think, if sort of taking this model and applying it at another institution is clearly there was the the will of the people and there was sort of this buy-in. It was grassroots and now it's become top-down and it's a real thoughtful endeavor about the culture at their institute, but that some others might take it as a pass of, oh, well, we have a science sustainability officer. We have someone that thinks about culture. I don't need to do that. When it is definitely still every PI's job to think about that to some degree. But that doesn't mean they have to be doing it all individually by themselves. So you don't want it to end up like how Congress treats ethics. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right on. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the other thing that I think about is that, you know, 600 researchers is still a lot of people, but it's much smaller than a lot of, you know, even, even small universities. Um, and you know, that this institute is probably, um, a lot more, potentially a lot more homogenous in terms of what their research goals are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and the fields that they're, that they represent. And so, uh, there's probably a, a lot more similarity in, you know, in goals and in culture than you would find, um, especially at a large university. And, and and so if you did try and scale this up, you know, maybe one person uh, is, is, is not sufficient, you know, maybe, um, and maybe not even one centralized office would be the way to go. Maybe it's, you know, embedding um, these types of uh, positions, uh, at least within, you know, a school, um, you know, a, a sort of a branch of a larger university, if not even, um, you know, assigning them to individual departments or clusters of departments that have um, similarity in, in research interests and similarity in, um, in, in the culture of that field. Mm-hmm. So one of the other vignettes was about showing that you care. Um, and this author, uh, Michael Zygmunt, talked about that he had co-taught a course about survival skills for lab members, which I understand, and that's a cute way to always put it, but I hate when we talk about survival skills for grad school, because, gosh, you should be getting more than just surviving out of it. Yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah. But I, I, I understand the, the point that he's making, but that basic care of lab members should be something that's taught to lab heads. Um and just some really basic principles that, you know, sometimes it makes me sad reading these sorts of things because it's like, oh, showing people that you care and being a mentor and not just a supervisor. And it's like, oh, that's probably should just be like normal how you interact with other human beings as a human being. 
But <laughs> that's clearly not a part of our broader scientific culture and is something that actually needs to be yeah, this, underlined. And this taught. section was very underwhelming to cases. me. It's basically it's like, hey, maybe tell them they did a good job every now and then. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder if part of that grows out of the experiences maybe that we had. Um, and, and one in grad school, one of the things that I can point to um, that I've really missed since coming to a new institution is so at University of Virginia in the Environmental Sciences Department, we have a Friday Donuts. Um, and if you don't know, Jeff wears many hats, but one of the hats he used to wear was Dr. Donuts. Um, and it was an opportunity for the whole department to get together, share some fellowship. But more importantly than that, we always stopped and had announcements and then people shared positive things that had happened that week. Getting a paper accepted, getting a new student, having a grant be funded, things like that. A former student getting a job. And it was actually something to really look forward to and a great way to celebrate our group. And I think it really helped build community. And, like, you knew what people were doing. And I really miss having that at my institution here. We still have the Friday morning donuts thing, but we don't do that sort of celebration. Yeah, I think it always worked for us, too, because it was something that people wanted to be at. And that they all helped to make happen. Yeah. It wasn't like a top-down newsletter approach, which never really works. Like that's kind of that's kind of all we yes. have at VCU is like oh, some, I know. you know some emails <laughs> or whatnot. And, and the grad students have their own thing that they meet. But I feel like there's a lot of potential there for faculty and staff or you know us to support the students more than we do. But um, I don't know. It's hard. Some institutions just don't have that culture, and I don't know. How you can do it unless you just, I mean, you know, even if you took on, if, if someone takes on a strong leadership role, it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll have any success doing that. You know, I, I, I don't know. It's a complicated thing. Yeah. But I think it's, you should probably go beyond just saying, hey, good job. I mean, definitely you should do that and recognize when people do something, but <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, it's kind of interesting to, to hear, um, you know, to hear that, you know, of course I'm back at, at UVA where I did my PhD, um, or we all did our PhDs. And I don't know, I mean, maybe, maybe it is that we're, you know, kind of super privileged to have, you know, come up in a good, in a good department environment and, uh, and to all have good advisors, um, and, and so there's certain things that, you know, we, we kind of take for granted. I've always, I've often felt, um, you know, about things like this and about, um, you know, pieces about, you know, the things you wish you knew in grad school that, uh, you know, maybe for people, a lot of those things are like kind of gear, geared toward, um, you know, people who maybe didn't have a good grad school experience, um, or maybe found out after getting there that maybe, you know, maybe being an academic, um, wasn't totally cut out for them. Uh, and, and maybe those things don't speak as, as well to people who have had good experiences and are, you know, really happy, um, with their careers in academia, uh, even if, uh, they haven't, you know, like me, quite gotten where they they want to go yet, uh, in terms of you know finding a um, a long term stable position. Um, I don't know. Does does that does that speak to you guys at all? I mean, I'm kind of kind of rethinking that maybe a little bit based on what you've said about 
uh, you know, some different departments and experiences that you've had? No, I think it, no, that that totally makes Hmm. sense. There's, there's a, a podcast I listened to called the effort report that just had an episode and, uh, Roger Pang, one of the hosts who's over at Johns Hopkins, this was something that he talked about on that episode about things that he wished he had kind of known in grad school. And I remember being like a thoughtful conversation, but honestly, like now thinking back like a couple weeks ago from listening to it, like there's not really anything that long term stuck with me. So I don't know if that really means anything. Like I think in, in some ways it's such a personal journey. It's a dumb way of phrasing it. It's hard to know, you know, like I don't know, like if even. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's some universal thing that you could tell. <laughs> Jeff, What's that? Your ability to make an insightful comment and um, put yourself down yeah. within the same breath is always amazing to me. It's not why, a dumb like, phrase it. <laughs> why, it sounds hokey. I'm not a sentimental or hokey person in general, you know? Well, okay, like, I hear you. What could I tell myself differently? <laughs> I don't know, like, work harder? But then I'm like, I work till like 4 a.m., like, and then got back up at seven and did that and did that for like multiple weeks at a time. Like, I don't know. I mean, just sometimes shit doesn't work and you go down multiple dead ends and it sucks. And I guess I would just tell myself like, Hey, chill out. It'll be fine. <laughs> I don't know. So I, I yeah, guess I agree with John. I don't know if they need these things. If, and- if it's somebody who's a super successful academic, like telling you something like, okay, sure. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. It's so personal, but you know, so you mentioned that whole, um, going down roads yeah. that ended up being fruitless, right? And and kind of freaking out about that. Um, one of the final vignettes in this was um, Tracy Chow bringing up be ex- like mentors being explicit about their expectations mm-hmm. and just how helpful in those situations of ending up going down a road that's completely fruitless or whatnot, that can be, how helpful it can be to know what the expectations of the yeah. people who are evaluating you are. Um, and as a person who's in a pre-tenure position right now, so I feel like I'm constantly being evaluated, <laughs> but that's a neurosis we can talk about later. Uh, it's <laughs> really helpful to know what the expectations are and that the goalposts don't move. Um, I'd say that's, that's a second part of that. We should. Um, but yeah, so these, these have been an interesting series of pieces. Uh, so I, 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 I do like the, the, the section in here about seeking different mentors or not different, but like multiple mentors, I think is something that's really good. And I think mm-hmm. it's, first of all, a, a strong primary mentor would be okay with you having an additional mentor, right? <laughs> Cause you know, you, there's multiple facets, multiple different oh, yeah. perspectives on things. And I think having multiple mentors is a totally good suggestion that I'm not sure naturally occurs to other people all the time. So I think that's a good one. Yeah. It, One piece of, go for it, John. Well, and, and I think, you know, just, you know, just to speak from experience, I think all of us had multiple mentors. Um, you know, I, I, you know, went to lab group meetings, um, of, you know, that were led by Jeff's advisor, even though I wasn't in that lab. Um, you know, Jeff, you, you know, you worked in, in the SWAS program, which was a little bit different from, from your lab. Um, you know, Grace, you had, you know, all the other Cascade PIs that, um, were able to, um, you know, be on your committee and, and support you and give you feedback in different ways. And, you know, Mm -hmm. so I, I, I can, I think all of us, 
that was part of all of our good experience and uh, definitely something that I wholeheartedly agree with. Yeah. And the the one sentence from there that I'd highlighted, the one mentor cannot meet the needs of yeah. any trainee or junior colleague. Like, you need so many people. And that's definitely true. You know, building that mentorship network takes work, though, and can be tough, but it's so worth it. One piece of advice I was given when I started my job was to try to establish some of that work, that network, and then go ask everybody individually when it came to big decisions. Ask each one of them individually and essentially just take a straw poll on large stuff. That's how I came up with my committee of no, which I've talked about on the podcast before. Um, but, you know, like, it, yeah, I definitely appreciate having those multiple perspectives and not so, just one person's. You know, one one thing I, I know that I've uh, downplayed advice to, you know, about advice about grad school. Um, but w- one thing that I will say is that a lot of times the easiest places to get advice are from your mentors network. If you yeah. have opportunities, it, and a lot of times that's fantastic advice. That's most of the advice that I got. Um, but if you have opportunities to reach beyond that, especially when you're thinking about uh, you know, am I going to do a postdoc? Where am I going to do it? Who am I going to do it with? Um, you know, think definitely think about moving past that, you know, that network and seeing uh, a different way of doing things. Um, you know, working with people with different strengths, um, just seeing the way that different institutions work. Uh, I know that that's really benefited me in my career. And um, so... If, if I can uh, dish advice that I just said was worthless, uh, that would be it. <laughs> well, I think this transitions very nicely so, into the next thing on our weird assortment of uh, our melange of an outline here. And we don't have to spend a super long amount of time on this. Um, but the idea of the culture of ecology in general... Um, I bring this up because there's been a string of editorials because apparently some people don't know that blogs exist, and um, like that's a that's a thing, <laughs> and you should check it out. Um, about the question is the whole idea of the future of ecology, particularly related to kind of big data and ideas of Earth observation networks and hypothesis driven research and whatnot, and um, so you, you you can look at the there's an article from Linda Meyer and and Likens in the most recent Frontiers of Ecology Environment. I always fuck it up and want to say evolution, but I, know, I don't remember. It's environment. <laughs> so in the FE, yeah. But anyway, this is kind of goes on and the, they've been doing this for a while, and apparently they have a book coming out. Good for them. Yeah, that's the part I didn't get. Why were they allowed to write yet another Frontiers? article about the exact same damn thing they wrote it about like six years ago. Did you ago, know they also have like two or three things in trends in ecology and trends in something the environment, evolution, whatever the other one is, it's two E's. <laughs> <laughs> trends in ecology good and evolution. God, yeah. In tree. Yeah, tree. Good God. Like, I, it's an interesting point. It's worth discussion, but like let somebody else I talk. Um, okay, sorry. <laughs> Well, I don't think anybody... Stay in your lane. That's all I have to say. 
I mean, I kind of think that they're still waiting to get a rise out of someone. I mean, I think everyone's just like, dude, just give it up. You're old. Like you're Gene Likens. You've done some cool shit, but you're still What's... old. Like just. And you're in the National Academy. It's like you do it. Any of these old people, they just keep going. Like they're just going to prove to you that they're crazy, right? Like you just let them go on too long. <laughs> like Buzz Aldrin's doing that now. Um, there's a bunch of these people. Like, once they hit, like, I don't know. Like, it's just the whole thing now. Like, I guess they don't realize that there's the internet and there's people constantly seeing them and you constantly get exposed to how crazy people are. Of course, they're voluntarily writing this and just putting it out there. Um, but I guess my, my actual rebuttal to this, in short, from my standpoint, and y'all can tell me if I'm crazy, particularly how this relates to Earth Observation Network, specifically the one in, in Neon, like, first of all, the whole idea that this is not well-designed and well-thought-out is absolutely absurd. Now, now, granted that there have been mm. there have been mishaps along the way. I yeah, will fight you on the aquatic side like, of that, but okay. There's been thought put into it. <laughs> Whether or not in practice it's all come out in the way, it's, it's been messy, it's fine, you know, whatever. But at least on the terrestrial side, like, there's been thought and there's stuff behind this, right? But I guess, like, the, the goal of all of this... I guess is we need to move beyond this whole idea of artisanal science, right? Like you can't always just have. <laughs> I like that. Artisanal I'm not going to take like, credit for that. I don't remember who else came up with it. It was not me. Um, that was a good term. I think that was uh, Christine Balai who came up with that term. But uh, uh, <laughs> you know, like having these observational networks, particularly like Neon, has the potential to democratize science and ecology in a way that we've never been able to do before, right? Well, I mean, what Landsat has. Like, free Landsat remote sensing technology is basically given this huge, beautiful data source, freely available, that people can do amazing things with, right? So this means anyone from, like, the smallest institution to, like, high school students, if they can, you know, they have good teachers and, you know, mentors who can help them on how to use it. Anybody can do anything with it. NEON offers a potential... So one-up that even more, right? Like, giving all kinds of other data. I think that's really cool. And if anything, it's going to offer connections to scaling, but also drive further hypotheses. Like, it doesn't have to always be one grad student in the woods with a hypothesis, go out and do that study. Like, there can be a string that ties things together. I think there's a lot of possibilities here, even if maybe the aquatic side could have been done better. Well... So can I offer a bit of a of where course. I definitely agree and a bit of a rebuttal? Um, so I absolutely agree that there there is value in Neon and the data that they're collecting. And I really like that idea that you brought out about democratizing science. It's freely available to all, right? And so it's, it becomes less about the have and the haves nots, who has access to data, the ability to collect those data, things like that. And that's awesome. And that's definitely how, it, as a community, we should be moving forward. And there's really great stuff about that. My problem with Neon falls in the design of it for twofold. First, there wasn't a lot of scientific involvement. And for things like site selection, there was hardly any scientific involvement in that from the community, the people who worked in those actual ecosystems and could have told you something about them. It was very top down. And that was a misstep. That was, in some cases, seeing it being carried out at Undurk, it was just stupid. Like, they just made stupid decisions, and they paid millions of dollars for it because they didn't ask anyone. Um, 
So the lack, that sort of lack of community involvement irks me because it also costs a lot of money. But then number two, um, I totally understand the need for the sort of data that are being collected and the importance of it and whatnot. It would be more satisfying if there were some initial, initial broad scale, large community level questions that were of interest that were driving this particular data collection, as opposed to what feels like the field of dream model. If we build it, they'll come up like they will come. Um, and at least on the aquatic um, side, that's certainly how it's felt. From my outsider's view as a young person who was not involved in the very, very early stages yeah. or hearing about it. So yeah, like, no, let's just definitely put all true. the there were some, on there. Um, there were some uh, interesting times in the beginning. Yes. And so, and I think there, it like clearly it has turned to be extremely fruitful already, particularly I think on the terrestrial side and what folks have been able to do with it. And it is a 100% invaluable data set and a huge boon to our community and our science and our field moving forward. And so like I'm there, um, but uh, the method in which it was carried out, which is separate from the science. And the See, but these are, are reasonable. These are reasonable Check discussion points, not framing it as a cultural attack. That's oh heck that's yes, stupid. yeah. No, that piece was off the charts. That was, that I, was ridiculous. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm gonna so go back and go for it, John. Um, I guess my my issue with this being a framed as a cultural issue is that. You've got a couple of old fucking white dudes, harp, you know, harping on the culture of our field, and you know, I, I mean, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a young white dude, all right, like, you know, I, the the only thing, you know, in some respects, the only thing difference, the only difference between me and them is, you know, forty years, um. Well, maybe <laughs> maybe thirty with Lindemere, but uh, uh, well, maybe it's fifty with Likens. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> there's a range. Uh, but anyway, my my yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, my my point is that just like you know, it it feels like a veiled argument for the hegemony of you know, white hetero yeah. dude field culture yeah. in, in our field. And, you know, and, and, and that's speaking as like, you know, oh, a, a white dude who's, you know, honestly not the wokest dude in the room. Um, you know, and, and, and it, and it still feels that way. And so I, you know, I can't imagine what that feels like to, you know, to women scientists, to, you know, un- underrepresented minority scientists. Um, I bet it feels like shit, to be honest. I can only speak for myself, but yes, there I had definitely a personal reaction to the piece in addition to my wearing my scientist hat and, and being and a I think that was my it. that was my biggest problem with it. Is that you know, your culture of ecology is not under attack, dude. It's not it's you know, we have new stuff, we have new ways of, of doing things. If you think about fields like epidemiology that, you know, you can't really do experiments like we do here, right? Like they use more hypothesis testing type pattern finding analyses or whatnot, right? Like it's just, you know, there's, there's other ways to do things and they're not wrong, 
necessarily. There's different ways of doing things. And I feel like this is, this is just really ungrounded. Yeah, and it's super cool that, you know, Lichens and Borman's work of chopping down an entire watershed and all of these <laughs> large ecosystem scale experiments. And that's not something that can happen and not everyone can do. And it's, it, they certainly provide really valuable data. They can also provide contentious data. Let's look at the long story and debate and really healthy scientific debate that's happened around the experimental lakes area and phosphorus versus nitrogen limitation. Um, so it's just really cool stuff, but it's not how everybody does science and it's not how everybody needs to do science. But that also doesn't mean that the people who do science in that big scale ecosystem manipulation way and the people who do it in mesocosms or in lab studies and people who do it with data networks and that's um, data that are being collected by sensors can't all work together and inform each other to get even better science out of it. And so maybe that's also, at least I felt like in their parasite piece back in what was that 2011 that's kind of a point that i think was trying to be made is that like hey people can inform each other and when you actually know something about an ecosystem you can help yeah it's just you can make the point of that being an ass but (laughs) oh hey there it is (laughs) you know i'm really disappointed in frontiers for if they were going to publish this fine but you want to, like, first of all, just stop yeah. giving these people a voice because they've made this point and they've had their voice. We're done. Okay, move the heck on. But if they were going to do this, the fact that they didn't solicit somebody else to write a rebuttal to publish with it, just, like, what the also, heck? Also, Frontiers, I thought everything had to be application-based yeah, now. How is this application-based, huh? Huh? Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like, see do the management Frontiers implications of this. You're going to make that claim for everything else. Maybe. Not, not sour. <laughs> well, and it's it's not like there is a shortage of scientists, of of senior, well-known scientists who are involved in, you know, network-based science. Yeah. You know, there's there's a whole smorgasbord of, of people to, to choose from if you choose Guys, to take that route. if you're frustrated with Frontiers... And I know I am. Not really Frontiers. We're still cool. I'm just joking. I got an idea for you about a new journal. Are y'all ready? Are y'all ready for this? Oh, yeah. hot damn. From from MVPI, which uh, multidisciplinary yes. something, publishers, digital, who cares? J, the Open Access Journal of Multidisciplinary Sciences. It's an international open access journal published quarterly online. Free publication for well-prepared manuscripts for 2018. What does Jay cover? Everything. All research fields. Jay. So why is it published quarterly? Because it's predatory. Okay, so this is what I don't... Enough. This is what I don't get about <laughs> Sorry, MVPI. Sorry, looking it up. There's, like, quality <laughs> journals here, right? Like, good stuff. Like, sensors is good, forest is good, remote sensing is really good. And there's some weird ones in here, and I don't get it. I really don't get it. J is the weirdest one to me. There's also SCI, S-C-I, which is like post-peer review. Like, they kind of just read your article and then publish it. And then it gets peer-reviewed or something. Not, not 100% sure about this one. So, SCI huh. actually makes a little bit of sense to me as, like, an experiment in post-publication peer review. I mean, that's a thing that people talk about and... 
some people think is good. Um, I'm not convinced that it's an optimal way of doing things, but so you know, if if you want to chalk it up to an experiment and sure. see how it goes, then you know, so, by all means. Hey, is MDPI is not associated no. with the Scientific Society? Not that correct? I'm aware of. Okay, we should have a whole uh, podcast episode about oh, Scientific Society Associated Journals, I think. By the way, I'm a huge fan, and these, like, mega conglomerations... So, okay, so, I just want to... I'm, I'm focused on this J thing, because it's weird to me. I can't figure it out. So, J has three articles up. One on octogallate as an intervention catalyst for augment antifungal something. Don't know. Don't... No idea what that means. Well, sure. uh, another one on enhancing mentorship in psychiatric and health sciences, and alternative approaches to the search for Alzheimer's disease. That's broad. That's really broad. Yeah, they only get one a month. I, I really, I don't get this. Huh. Now I get the opposite extreme because MDPI, amongst their, I haven't counted this, so I'm just going to go with nine thousand journals. They're really focused ones. There's nitrogen. Publishes things on nitrogen, pathogens, plants, quaternary, which I assume is geology. But anyway, guys, beverages is really exciting. Beverages. Beverages. So I have developed a plan. I think if there's someone enterprising out there, you can basically publish about nine or ten articles in different journals this year if they're well-prepared manuscripts. If you look at this list... Because they got some new stuff coming online. I'm thinking of approaching drones for sure. Uh, definitely soil systems. I got a manuscript for my PhD that's still never finished. That one's going to soil systems. Um, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm joking. I'm not even joking on this one. Actually, right, like, really, people I really respect are doing a special issue in soil systems, and that's kind of what brought my attention to MDPI. Like I've reviewed for Forest for years, but like I've never really looked at the full list of their journals before, and that made me realize like, oh, there's all these new ones. Fishes is a new one. Jeff, you Beverly. failed to mention the most important thing. No, this is this is. Oh yeah, th- th- these are free, free for this year if they're well prepared. Define. I don't know how I well no fucking idea. Well prepared is defined. Well prepared manuscripts. I I think that means don't just. Well, what they want it to mean is don't just send them. You know their your crap <laughs> written on the back of a paper napkin from the bar down the street. But if you send a CV along with it, they'll put you on the editorial board too, right? Mm-hmm. Like Grace is, mm-hmm. Grace is throwing straight, straight heat. So. I'm not, like. <laughs> I don't, I'm just highly suspicious of these mega No, I totally that, understand. And, and I just want to yeah. say, like, I've reviewed for a couple of these journals and the stuff that I've reviewed has all been, like, it's been solid. It's not, it's not earth shattering, but it's been solid science. And... Oh, toxins. So I like, reviewed for them. You're right. I, okay. I don't know, but like, I feel like this many journals, and I know that they were on Bill, like, they weren't on Bill's list, but Bill, when Jeffrey Beale was still making the list, he did make a note like, there's a lot of mediocre stuff that comes out, but it does seem to be solid. So I don't know. I'm reserving judgment, but I'm just saying, this year, well prepared manuscripts. You can really rack up the publications. 
Feel free. I, I just also want to put it out there that a lot of your scientific society journals also have waivers. If you are producing quality science, that's good for the journal, but you can't pay the fee. Yeah, I'm just going to try just that. talk to your editor. Yeah. So, <laughs> just tossing that out there. Yeah, you can get one free ecology paper about, a year. But, but guys. Yeah. What about Vibration? Vibration seems like a pretty solid journal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't universe (laughs) huh anyway I'm just saying alright I I have an idea Um, we're going to rapid fire go through um, update on the biggest thing that's happened in your life in the past week that we haven't talked about yet John go first I I moved in the house that I bought and it's mostly finished ish um, Jeff. I feel like something happened, but I don't remember what it was. <laughs> uh, pass. Come back to me. Grace, you go. Okay. Uh, my sister-in-law got married, and it was a beautiful wedding, but they had a candy table, and they bought too much candy, and so I got to bring home a half gallon of M&M's. Best thing that's happened to me all week. I don't Whoa. have a best. Uh, the most notable yep. thing, I guess, is that um, I did tell y'all our car got eaten by rats, right? Did that happen between podcasts? Or that was on the last one, right? Yes. I don't remember. Anyway, we got it. Was it? Oh, okay, I so our car got eaten by podcasts. rats. We parked it at the airport, and when we got back, a rat had gotten in and eaten the car completely, and they shredded all the wires. Which is funny because it was my wife's car, which was like immaculate inside. Like it had been my car. Like yeah, there's like field stuff in there. I don't know what the hell is in my car, but her car totally destroyed. We got a new car, a new-ish car. We got like a 2014. We got an Outback. Cool. Uh, this week, our neighbor's kid, who's 16, is learning how to drive, backed into the car. Oh, so, shit. Um, I got to visit body shops again this month. I've become real good friends with the people at the collision center down here. And so we got estimates on that, but we're going to get it fixed. It didn't get eaten by rats, so that's cool. Okay. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! Victory so, for the week. Um, with that, uh, we're going to post a bunch of uh, recommended readings on our website for this episode, and um, also we have a piece from Dr. Catherine Holshoff, who is now at VCU. Uh, she was formerly at the University of Puerto Rico, Maguas, and she uh, lived through the hurricane and wrote a very moving piece on Medium uh, that I want to post on the website, and highly recommend that you check out. Uh, very good read. And um, also with that, yes. you know, Apple Podcast, iTunes, please uh, rate and review us. That would be great. You can also check us out on Google Play and Stitcher and everywhere but Spotify, because Spotify won't write us back. Spotify, if you're listening, put us on there, please. Pretty please. <laughs> and if you just can't get enough or you want more between episodes of Major Revisions, you can go on Spotify and download and listen to our Major Revisions playlist, which is a lot of the songs that we featured on our episodes. You can find us always on Twitter. Um, and you can find us on Instagram now. And I'm not going to lie, pretty much it's just pictures of Jeff and I posting. That's what you people want to see. Um, but they're somewhat related to the podcast. <laughs> so... Also, thank you uh, very much to the many uh, kind folks who wrote. Um, so remember, you can write us as well at majorrevisionsshow at gmail.com. And with that, thank you for listening. Absolutely. 
We'll catch you all next time.